As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Group Podcast. Ben Standard here. Hope everyone is doing well. It was a wild day out in Ashburn. It's been obviously an interesting few days, to say the least. I'm going to get to everything uh, that happened out there today, including a lengthy injury report. Logan Thomas goes to IR. Um, Heard a little bit more about the investigation into head trainer Ryan Vermillion. We'll get to all that, plus some thoughts on uh, some insight into what Washington's interest in Jalen Smith and a lot more. But. We've got a jam-packed episode today, so I'm not going to dawdle too long here in the beginning. Uh, I spoke with our uh, Saints insider, Catherine Terrell, about what's going on with this matchup. Uh, what what do we think of Jamin, Jameis Winston? Is Washington's schedule about to get harder, or are the Saints, a team that just lost to the Giants, kind of in that midland pack, like maybe where Washington is? We we, we discussed the, all that and the, and the important matchups. Um We'll get to that. In addition, our friend Mark Bullock, we, we spoke at length about what he's seen on tape with regards to what's working, what's not working for Taylor Heineke. Uh, obviously, we got into a bunch of things with regards to the defense, not just the, the defensive line, the back seven. So, Asked Mark what his thoughts are on Jack Del Rio's uh, decisions, play calling, all that kind of stuff. So a lot to get to here um, on the Standard Group Only podcast. You know the deal. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and of course now you can find the podcast on the Athletic app if you want to sign up that way, a commercial-free experience. And if you've been just waiting to get to the Athletic, you can do so. It's 50% off. If you go to theathletic.com slash Standig, my last name, you can get um, not just the podcast, the entire website for 50 percent off by the way if you are an itunes person i haven't mentioned this in a while definitely appreciate anybody has a minute to drop a a rating and a review they always help uh when you're nice of course Uh, um so i appreciate that and uh you can of course follow me on twitter at ben standig i have a new article up by the way on the athletic today with regards to kind of everything that's kind of going on here uh with, with the injuries and my thoughts about this is where all this culture stuff really comes into play. How do you navigate um, all that's going on here right now? So you can check that out on The Athletic. All right, so before I get to uh, Catherine and Mark, just a couple uh, notes on today. So we knew it was going to be an injury 
we'd be waiting for some injury updates. We already knew that John Bostic and Tory McTire were going on IR, and we knew some other players were, were, were hurt. Brandon Scherf was going to be out a couple of weeks at least because of a sprained MCL. We knew Logan Thomas would be out week to week. Beyond that, we weren't quite sure. Cam Sims had a hamstring injury, De'Ami Brown a knee injury. We kind of knew all that, but the injury list went way beyond that. Ultimately, with Logan Thomas going on IR, which means he's going to miss at least three games, they had 12 names in total on this list. Uh, John Allen was a limited participant. J.D. McKissick was on there. Uh, Antonio Gibson. It's, I'm talking to you guys after Wednesday's practice. We've got a couple more days to go, so I don't want to get overly worked up about some of these things. But Curtis Samuel was also uh, somebody who did not practice today, and obviously he's been dealing with a groin injury. My my initial sense on that is it's precaution more than anything else. So I'm not ruling him out for this week, but we'll obviously have to see, and we'll have to see on a lot of these things. So if you follow me on Twitter, at Ben Standig, you'll obviously know what's going on. As I learn along the way, Um craziness for Washington. I mean, they were missing so many people today, especially in their wide receiver room. It was really noticeable and bizarre. Obviously with Logan Thomas, huge loss for the offense. I think it's even a bigger loss um, than Brandon Scherf possibly being out for the same amount of time. By the way, worth noting, Brandon Scherf is only, is not gone on IR, so they're probably hoping he can be back under the three weeks that you have to remain out if you go on IR, whereas Logan Thomas you can figure it's going to be at least three weeks and possibly longer. So keep that in mind. I think Adam Schefter had four weeks for Logan Thomas or maybe, no, sorry, it was Ian Rappaport. Uh, sorry. So um, whatever. Anyway, just keep that in mind. But with Logan Thomas, look, they, they've got Ricky Seals Jones, who's a decent guy to have, not necessarily a frontline player. You've got John Bates, who has zero catches so far. He, I think he only had four offensive snaps prior to Logan Thomas getting hurt. He's shown to be a capable blocker, but not much more than that right now. There's Samus Reyes, of course, who has been inactive in every game so far. We know the inexperienced curve he's having to overcome, having never played football before. And then today, Washington signed Chase, Chase Sternberger, off of Seattle's practice squad to their 53. He also has not played this year. He's a 2019 third round pick who was wa- by Green Bay who was waived and then signed to Seattle. So uh, that is an incredible drop to go from Logan Thomas to that group that I just described. I think Washington, assuming that they have all the receivers in play, will probably be using more, I would think, three and four, maybe even five wide receivers at times versus the running versus multiple tight ends, except for blocking circumstances. I would also think this is a chance to use J.D. McKissick and Antonio Gibson more together. But we'll have to see what happens and who is available this week and who is um, who is not. So a laundry list of players we got to keep track of the rest of this week ahead of Sunday's game to see what happens. Um, I mentioned Sternberger. Washington did try to get Jalen Smith, who was a surprise released on Tuesday from Dallas, uh, just there, basically, I think Dallas wanted to move on. Uh, they had other guys they like they were playing ahead of him. It was sort of a weird move that Dallas made, but there's uh, for, he's had to, he's had an injury history, and I think there's some long term concerns from Dallas in terms of if he were to get hurt again. There's some injury guarantees, things like that. So they moved on, and Jalen Smith. Uh, some people think he's kind of he, he's fading. 
Pro Football Focus gave him a really high coverage grade. Anyway, none of that ultimately is going to matter here because it appears he's going to be signing with the Green Bay Packers on Thursday. However, there were a lot of people saying, hey, shouldn't Washington be interested in him? Turns out they were. I was told that they were interested in him, according to a source, and that the interest was mutual. But ultimately, he's choosing the Packers. I think it's pretty hard to argue if if your options include going to an NFC title contender and playing with Aaron Rodgers versus a team that is obviously struggling at this point. It's probably not much of a debate. Uh, So that's what he's doing. He's going to Green Bay, but Washington did show interest, I was told. And, um, you know, it is what it is on on that front. Uh, With regards to Ryan Vermillion, what we, uh, the NFLPA today put out a statement saying that they want information about what is happening here. They want to know what is going on, that their players have a right to know. Um, and uh, th- that's another step in this uh, developing story. Landon Collins is the team's uh, PA rep. He spoke to the media today. He had ni- very nice things to say about Ryan Vermillion, said he was in, it was helped him through his rehab, and just in general, he thinks he does a good job. Of course, none of that is relative to this investigation that the, uh, the DEA uh, effectively raided, I guess, team facility as well as uh, Vermillion's home. Atlanta Collins said he was aware of the NFL PA statement. Didn't really have much to add beyond that. Said he didn't know anything. He was caught off guard like everybody else essentially. And we'll, we'll go from there. So we'll have to see what happens on that front. Hopefully we'll get some more information here um, in the coming days uh, sooner than later. But for now, Washington has a lengthy injury list and their head trainer is not with the team. Uh, former Washington trainer Bubba Tyre, who was the trainer in the Joe Gibbs era, was actually out at the park today. Apparently, he's going to be doing some volunteering. That's not the long-term answer. He's retired since 2009, but it just goes to show where they're at. It's an all-hands-on-deck situation right now for Washington. Um, <laughs> wild times, to say the least. And everything I didn't I mentioned has nothing to do with fixing the defense or how does Taylor Heineke uh what is key for him against a defense that is number two in DVOA, according to Football Outsiders? There's a lot to discuss. We'll get to more of that on The Athletic this week. But we have a lot to get to here. Um, so let's get to it. I did talk, as I said, uh, on I, I talked on Tuesday to both Catherine Terrell and Mark Bullock. So n- none of these injuries are factored into those conversations, but I don't think it's necessarily a big deal. Plus, we already figured Logan Thomas would probably be out at least one game. Didn't know about the IR situation, obviously. But a fun conversation with both. I'm going to start with Catherine, uh, and, and then we'll get to Mark. So we'll first preview the Saints game, and then we'll do a quarter poll review of what Mark and I have seen from like a film perspective about this team. A lot to get to. Let's get to it here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. As promised, joining me here on the podcast, she is our Saints insider, a salary cap guru, and like me, thrilled that she's not covering Urban Meyer these days. She is Catherine Terrell, uh, our, like I said, our Saints insider. Uh, 
yeah, we were just discussing before we came on that, like, you know, your team had all kinds of uh, things going on before the season with the hurricane and all that. And I got a DEA situation going on here, but at least it's not Urban Meyer uh, and whatever the heck is happening there. I see there's been a bunch of tweets in the last, right before we came on. I don't even know if anything else has happened, but good Lord. I mean, yeah, honestly, I didn't know about the Urban Meyer thing right around the time it happened like i'm in a bunch of group texts with beat writers like around the country honestly i used to cover the Bengals, so i'm in a Bengals group text and they're the ones that told me about it i guess i was busy doing who knows what but you know now i'm as fascinated as everyone else because i don't have to cover it but yeah um i guess it's you know i guess it's tuesday right now so uh tuesday is not a slow news day you know the jaguars came out and basically said what he did was unacceptable and it Again, I'm glad I'm not covering it because the thing here is this is not something that is just going to go away in a day. It's not so much about what Urban Meyer was doing in his personal life. And I know that that is the story and people are going to focus on that. But it's, it's more about how does this resonate with his players? And, you know, this is not college. NFL players are different. If the coach is not displaying the same level of commitment that they are asking the players to display, you know, if a player is asked to come get up for a a. 7am meeting, that coach better be in that 7am meeting. And so, you know, resentment built up really quickly. And when they're not winning, you cannot afford the optics of that. I mean, that combined with, I don't know if you saw the tweet about how after the Bengals lost, he was walking around the locker room heartbroken and um, just looked overwhelmed. You can't do that as a head coach. You're going to lose a lot in the NFL. So you just have to kind of, pack up and move on so there's a lot of things at play but basically long story short jaguars are a disaster right now and hey if, if i was betting on the first coach to get fired i think i would turn my attention to him yeah and there's obviously been it's not even just this thing is since he showed up there's been a lot of um, issues that he hired a strength coach that had a uh, lot lot of off the field issues we'll, we'll just say and um yeah it's been one thing um, after another and that's the thing like we always talk about the why is it so difficult for college coaches really successful ones even like him to struggle when it gets to the pros and ultimately I think it always comes down to for me is they don't seem to recognize that in college they are like Tony Soprano they can do whatever they want they're basically above the law on some level and people will get, get away with it as long as you're winning but in the NFL that it's the real world more <laughs> you know more and like people are there's a lot more attention on that you're not just like localized in this area where everybody maybe even on some level some of the media i don't know people are just like willing to like oh well that's just kind of how things are going on some ways and in the nfl like no you can't just do that and like you said these are actual adults you're dealing with they're not just scared kids who have to bow down to you uh, because you're the you you you're the guy with, with all the with all the control so yeah it's pretty interesting to to say the least and yeah i would agree I, if, if you're looking to wager uh that, that that's i don't know what the odds are but that seems like a good one that Urban Meyer is the, the first to go. And look, that USC job, right? We all can just see this, right? He's just going to take that at some point. That seems like a logical move for everybody. You know, first of all, I love Sopranos reference because I'm watching that for the first time. So it's just like hilariously relevant to me. But it's exactly why Nick Saban didn't work in the NFL. And he, he's an incredibly smart guy. We're all aware of that. He knew that it was time to get out and go do what he's actually good at because you cannot control every little aspect you were talking about grown men that will probably be in the nfl longer than you will they know that they it's 
you can't bully them. You know, and it, it's interesting that uh, Saban ultimately flamed out, even though at the very beginning, I remember so many people thought he could just, you know, basically control everything and, and bully the NFL players into doing what he wanted to do. Cause I don't know if you remember this, but uh, the first few weeks he was in the NFL, he made a NFL player cry. And that was a, a big like video. Everyone was talking about it, but it's clear that got old real quick. And they just, I guess they just <clears throat> listen to him. And, and it's different because, you know, Saban is so respected. And even back then, you know, even though he hadn't won a million national championships yet, um, he still he still did have some respect, but he didn't have the NFL clout. And, and that is the problem. The problem is you cannot afford the optics of not flying home on a team plane when you have a winless team. You, you just don't get to do that. And you don't even see like Bill Belichick doing that. And he has all the clout in the world. He could do that. And no one would even pay attention because they would just say, hey, he knows what he's doing. But, you know um anyway it's just it, the dynamics of every team are so different and it's it's so fascinating to watch um when you're not the one that's uh having to run after the story yeah yeah no for for, for sure i had enough to deal with last year you had enough to deal with at the start of this season so somebody else's uh somebody else's problem uh right now um all right so our problem is we've got two teams coming into a game week five at fedex field that the team i cover actually won last week but it doesn't feel that cheery because they they basically needed another late game miracle to to win against an atlanta team that's really not good uh they they needed a last second uh a literal last second offsides penalty on the giants to win to end up winning that game in week two they're easily they're, they're steps away from being zero and four for a team that a lot of people were talking about being an nfc contender their defense has been down and even ron rivera this week has now kind of come out and said hey uh, we, we can't keep pretending that there's not some some issues here uh, but at least Washington won. <laughs> Your team lost to the Giants, who I look, I, the wa- Giants almost beat Washington in week two, but they didn't. And 0-3, you know, we talk about who might be first one to get fired. I guess Joe Judge, no, but Dave Gettleman, maybe. Like if, if things keep going down that path, um, the, the Giants GM. But somehow the Giants won. So in in honor of the the, the, the tradition here of kind of going back and forth with questions with uh, with the other beat writers, I'll just start with with this. What 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 happened? How, how did how did the Saints lose to the Giants? Or is the or should I be viewing this at and maybe the Saints really just I have to stop looking at them as this contender from the way it's been the last few years, and maybe they are just sort of down here with these other kind of Midland teams. Well, it was a, a weird game. It was I, the first half is like watching paint dry. I was commenting. It's one of those boring games I've watched in years, and then they came out in the second half, and they were pretty much dominating you know i i don't know i know you've been to the superdome i assume and covered uh, i never have actually okay i figured you had oh well okay so if you haven't the superdome's the superdome has the worst press box elevator situation in the league probably so if you don't go down you know as usual all elevators are held at the two minute warning or whatever for the coaches so you need to go down there before that or else the elevator will back up all the way down the press box and you won't get down there for 30 minutes. So I say that because the Saints kind of had things in control. So I went downstairs and then I was going to watch the rest of it on the TV screen downstairs before, you know, we talked to Sean Payton. And just very quickly at the beginning of that fourth quarter, just from the rest of it, the Giants, you know, they had that 54-yard touchdown to Barkley and the Saints couldn't score. It's, it's like the Saints played well in the middle of the game it's like playing well between the 20s. They played well in the middle of the game. They couldn't start well. They couldn't finish well. 
So I, I still think the Saints, you know, can rebound from this, but they, they've got a lot of stuff going on. They have a lot of players out. They have an offense they have to figure out. And, you know, they've got a rookie corner that was getting picked on a lot. Um, they do have Bradley Roby, so who knows? Maybe they'll just they'll swap them out next week. But there's a lot of issues, but I think they're just going to be a yo-yo team, as the fans keep saying. Um, one week they're going to look like the, the team that beat the Packers, and the next week they're going to look like the team that had, like, 50 yards against the Panthers. Gotcha. I mean, from the Washington perspective, when you looked at the schedule – uh, it felt like the first four games, there were some winnable games. They played the Giants, they played Atlanta. We didn't quite know what to make of the Chargers in week one. The Buffalo in week three seemed like a loss, and surely it was. But then starting with this game, it gets crazy. Saints, then next week, Patrick Mahomes is here. Then after the, the week, the next week, it's at Green Bay. Then it's at Denver, which they lost this week, but, you know, three and one. And then a bye week, then Tampa Bay. And then after that, you still have games with Carolina, Seattle, and the Raiders and the division. So, like, it felt like this was the game that was like, okay, now we'll really start to see what's happening. And now I'm like, well, maybe actually the front, uh, sort of the weaker schedule got pushed back a week that maybe the Saints are more towards that. I'm going to still in my head say Sean Payton's pretty good, and this is a game that's going to be a lot more challenging than the, maybe the last week's <laughs> win-loss would, would suggest. That That's kind of at least how I'm looking at it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was actually paying attention to the the Falcons-Washington game probably more than any other game because I do this betting column for the Athletic, and you know, we had to pick three prop bets. And so, you know, my one of my bets was that Calvin Ridley would have over six and a half catches, and his catch number seven did not come until like two minutes left. So uh, I was sweating it out about my fake money there. But, yeah, I, I did pay attention to that because um, – like you said, your team just seems to be kind of wildly up and down too. And I can't really figure them out. Uh, you know, have, having to come back last minute against the Falcons is kind of interesting because the Falcons sometimes look just horrific <laughs> and then sometimes they, they look okay. Uh, so, I mean, I wonder if both of us are just going to be covering these teams that are just, you know, on a roller coaster all season. Cause I don't know Washington's identity and I'm not really sure yet. I know the Saints identity either. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, to, I'll, I'll use that as the, as the, as the question to, to jump off, talk about these guys. I mean, the, the issue is obviously everybody talked about this defense, 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 Chase Young, all, all those first round picks on the defensive line. This is going to carry the day. And even when I was saying before the season that I think people were a bit overestimating how good they were last year, they faced a ton of backup quarterbacks and that helped uh, boost up their, uh, their, their, their statistics still like, you know, figured they'd be, they would be better that they, they made some off season changes, figure, figure some things would, would at least be, you know, a top 10 kind of a defense. Um, they, everybody get everybody converts every third down chance against them i mean they're giving up a preposterous amount in, in that way um the the pass rush you know what it, even if they get pressures they're not taking down any of the quarterbacks i mean matt ryan is not exactly the mobile guy he got sacked one time uh <laughs> yeah i mean he got sacked one time um seemed to kind of be able to do what he want i mean to credit to the defense they stopped atlanta on their last three possessions which allowed taylor heineke to work his magic and that's a whole other fun fun subplot but uh yeah i mean the, the defense is where this team is at and it's not there they, they, they won both their games scoring at least 30 points oh that's not gonna that's not gonna last uh so I mean, it did it against the giants and the falcons two you know not good teams so the, the defense has got to have to figure this out and uh, you know 
I could just sit here and say, well, I have to do better on third down and I have to get after the quarterback better and all that kind of stuff. But like, ultimately it feels like it's more of a, uh, and Ron Rivera has talked a lot about the maturity issues and he's not, I don't think he's talking about clubbing. I think he's talking about understanding that you're still not good enough, that whatever you did last year, whatever the hype, that's, that's irrelevant. You actually have to do the work and, and be focused on the task at hand. And I don't think he thinks some of these guys are doing that. He never says Chase Young by name, but I think it's pretty apparent. He's one of the guys he's viewing as sort of underachieving, even if he's doing okay. He's not, he can't be okay for them to win. He needs to be really good and, you know, things like that. So I think that's been the issue with them. Defense, I mean, there's offensive questions and they had a ton of injuries this week. Sounds like you guys have a lot. Um, Washington lost, had two guys go on IR yesterday including a starting linebacker who wasn't that good, to be honest. Uh, but um, but they've got some other injuries. Brandon Scherf's probably going to be out a couple weeks. Their, their best tight end probably going to be out this week. So they have some issues on top of they can't quite figure out what they're doing. That actually, I just looked it up, and that is shocking to me that they only have one more sack than the Saints, than the Saints pass rush. Like, that is shocking. If you had told me that a few months ago, I don't, I don't think I would have believed it. Well, we spent one of the topics this during training camp brought up by the players, not us, was Montez Sweat saying he and Chase Young discussed could they set the sack record. I don't know if we ever definitively heard if they meant the team record, which was Dex, uh, held by Dexter Manley and Charles Mann, or the league record. Either way, all of us wrote some version of, boy, you know, could this could, could this happen? And well, no. like right now they have a combined three, and Chase Young has zero. So um, <laughs> that's not happening. They are they are not getting it done, uh, those two guys in particular, in terms of just sacking the quarterback, which is, you know, not always the best uh, statistical measure, but at the same time, it's an indicator of something. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, when they're at the bottom. I mean, the Saints have six sacks, and uh, last week they, you know, couldn't really get to Daniel Jones, um, which is a problem. But, yeah, you know, I would have expected that from the Saints because uh, David Animata is suspended, and then – you had all these questions about Cam Jordan and was he, is he in decline? He hasn't, you know, really answered that question in a positive way yet. He's just kind of there right now. Um, you know, Marcus Davenport got hurt again. So it's, it's, uh, it's a bunch of nobodies on the interior of the defensive line. And then the, the edge rushers, they have big questions too. So it's not surprising to me that the saints pass rush is not really there, but it is surprising that, uh, Chase Young hasn't really kind of ha- escalated yet to the point where uh, people outside, people like me, thought he would. Yeah, yeah, for 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 sure. And so to that end, I guess let me ask you this. So obviously, Jameis Winston, we all know him, and and he comes in there. He's on my uh, he's my backup quarterback on my fantasy team that nobody cares about. Uh, <laughs> first game, you know, okay, insanely efficient. Not not a lot of passes, but throws a ton of touchdowns. And okay, here they go, Sean Payton's offense. I kind of like Jameis, to be honest. I mean, I know there were too many interceptions before, but okay. And then, like you said, though, since then, it's been kind of an an up and down thing. If Washington is unable to get a pass rush on him, uh, part of Washington's issue also is maybe the real issue on defense is their back seven is really struggling in pass coverage. There's a lot of poor uh, miscommunication going on. Um, Ted Gwynn and I wrote a story together um, last week, him doing the film review and me just adding words. Uh, breaking down kind of what's going on with that. And so I guess my question is if Jameis Winston has time, has he, has he shown the ability to actually take advantage of Washington or where is he kind of at now in this, uh, you know, sort of reboot for him? 
I think he has. I mean, I think there's been a lot of up and downs for Winston, as you said, but I think he showed against the Giants that we all knew that Jameis has the ability to, to throw the deep ball. And um, he showed that a, a couple of times. The bigger issue, it wasn't the turnovers that have been harped on a million times. It was that everyone, a lot of the fans are starting to question how much trust Sean Payton actually has in Jameis Winston. Because from about the six minute mark uh, or midway through the third quarter to like midway through the fourth quarter, something like that. Uh, Jameis didn't even throw a pass. So, and then, you know, some, some stuff happened and Peyton would tell you, you know, it's just how the game played out. Uh, Jameis threw this, you know, beautiful deep pass to Kenny Stills who just got signed two weeks ago. And then it got taken away because, you know, their tight end had a holding penalty called against them. And Peyton said, you know, that's kind of on him for, putting Adam Troutman against Leonard Williams. And then the next play, they bring Taysom Hill in to throw the deep ball and he throws an interception. So, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, are, are you going to let Jameis be Jameis? Or are you, you going to put your trust in him? But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's ever that simple. Um, but it, there's, there's just more issues than Jameis. I mean, first of all, they have a number of receivers missing. Uh, it's it's really like Alvin Kamara or bust as the pass catching threat. And he wasn't even catching passes the other day. I mean, he did have a good rushing game, but yeah, it's just, these receivers aren't stepping up yet. And so, and, and the offensive line has issues too. So anyway, I'm kind of rambling here, but it, it's all. Awesome. Yeah, no. So I, I think that Jameis has the ability to have a great game if the offensive line figures things out, but you know, I just don't know what we're going to see from him, the offense from week to week at this point. Yeah. Well, the Kamara matchup is going to be particularly interesting. I think, I mean, obviously he's one of the best players in the league, you know, dual threat, all that. Um, Washington's linebackers are so poor that like one, so they just lost John Bostic um, for the year, but I think like a PFF had it, like he had faced 19 targets this year and the opponents completed 18 of those. Um, So yeah, he wasn't exactly killing it. They drafted Jamin Davis in the first round, but he's been slow to develop and last week they really seemed to go out of their way to avoid having as many line as few linebackers as, or to try to have as few linebackers on the field as possible which seems like a problem to a degree if you're going up against Alvin Kamara I guess you could say you know you could have a, a defensive back try to follow him around but that doesn't seem such a great move you know if you're going five and six defensive backs on every play um, that doesn't seem like a great move either so um, we'll see they, they have been using a lot of five defensive linemen more so than um normal i mean there's only like a handful of teams in the league that use five with any regularity they're one of them um but we'll see at some point you can't you can't hide an entire position group uh at some point you actually have to like you know let these guys do something and that seems like a um that seems like a problem um but anyway uh you have any other uh any wonders about what's going on over here or something that relates to you guys that you're wondering how washington might uh, deal with I guess just how you think that Washington's offense is going to match up with the Saints defense, because I, I think that the explosive plays were bad, obviously the, the Barkley touchdown, it really just um, Marshawn Lattimore, I think bit on the underneath route. And just by the time he saw Barkley, he was gone. I mean, so that was a mistake. And then the John Ross touchdown was insane. Uh, you know, the, Whoever didn't watch it, you know, they recently signed John Ross. Everyone knows he's very fast. He can run fast in a straight line. Yeah. So the coverage is good, but then he catches the ball right around the 
playing on the goal line and then has a fumble recovery for a touchdown. And the two, uh, the two defensive backs just kind of watched as he did this. So you take those two plays away, which you can't do it. They lost. I still think the Saints have a very solid defense. Got, gotcha. Okay. Um, well, so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So in terms of Washington, I mean, look, Taylor Heineke has been, you know, all kinds of fun. Their two wins have been because he's led big comebacks late in the game. He is, he has said his favorite quarterback growing up was Brett Favre and you can see that DNA. (laughs) Yeah. You can see that DNA coursing through his veins, the unconventional throws from across his body, you know, uh, things you were like, no, don't do that. Oh, great play kind of, kind of, kind of stuff. But there are also a lot of limitations. His arm strength is not, is not great. Um, sometimes he can be a little too aggressive. He was better. I thought against um, Atlanta, you know, he, 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 he ran or checked it down a bit more than, than forcing too much action. They did get Curtis Samuel back this week. Um, didn't do a ton this game, but it was good to have him out there and Terry McLaurin's a beast. So having those two guys together is going to put a lot of pressure on any defense. Um, but Heineke throws up a lot of balls that I think could be picked. I think there's some games where, you know, he could have three, three interceptions like he did against Buffalo. Um, that was something Atlanta noted after the game. So, you know, I think if the Saints stay with the play, you know, they can, you know, force him into to making mistakes, and that would be a huge deal. Um, but that said, Washington has some decent playmakers. Their offensive line, even without Brandon Scherf, I think should be okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to come down. The Heineke show, it's still it, – it's a fun watch. Without, without a doubt, sometimes you're just like, wait, where's the plot going this week? Is, is you know, is the, is the, uh, you know, is it going to go, is it going to go south? But for the most part, he's, he's held in there. I just don't know. Um, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should just stop saying I will see and just say, Hey, he's actually won a couple of games when, when he had to pull it out and nobody would imagine that. So um, the, the best defense they faced this year was Buffalo and he, that was his worst game. So we can kind of, you know, kind of, kind of look at it like that, I guess. Well, I mean, I feel like it's still so early in the season. Uh, you know, and a lot of us are just st- still saying we'll see. And really, uh, you know, the Washington gets the Saints kind of right before their whole team is is going to change because after Washington they have a bye week, and then theoretically they could get Michael Thomas back. Uh, they could get David Monimata back from suspension. They got other players: uh, Trey Quan Smith on IR, Marcus Davenport, Quan Alexander. I mean, I could just uh, sit here and go down the list. So. I think the Saints team in the first half of the season might be a different team in the second half of the season. So this is kind of the last game of the, I guess, first quarter of the season. I don't know if you can really call it that anymore because now they've thrown me off with the odd number of games. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. So I I think both of us don't really know what we're going to get, but uh, hopefully it'll be a fun one. More fun than the first half of last week, which I just – or on Sunday – Feels like last week already. I never want to revisit that again. That was that was awful. Well, between the Heineke randomness and Washington's defense not being able to like every team has scored on the first possession against Washington, three touchdowns the first three games. Last week, Atlanta only got a field goal. So there should be some points immediately. Yeah. So you at least got that to look forward to. And then Heineke is always a wild ride. So, you know, there should be at least entertaining, whether that means a win for this team or, or your team, I guess we will have to see. Um Anything, uh, it's still early in the week, but anything of note that people should be either go back to read that you got or something you've got coming up this week that maybe Washington fans should keep an eye on? Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I kind of mentioned this, but I would just keep an eye on the Saints injury report uh, just because they kind of last week, 
they started to pass that point where a bunch of players could come back. So I, I don't know if they will this week. I, actually, I guess now the players that got injured in week two could come back. So there could be a lot of movement with the injury report and a lot of transactions. And I know most fans don't keep an eye on other teams that are doing that, but uh, getting Traquan Smith back could help the saints just in terms of their offense kind of being stagnant and, you know, if he stays healthy, maybe he can help a bit and then tie to Nick Vanette too. So. Sure. And uh, uh, what I actually was meaning to say, and I clearly didn't was what about anything that you, that you have uh, on the website that people should be, uh, should read or something that you have coming up this week that should, that people should, uh, you know, make sure to uh, take a look at. Um, I'm just going to do my usual like film study of the saints and giants game. And then kind of how I like to relate it to the game going forward. So I'm just going to be digging into both teams and, kind of seeing how they match up. So I'll have that up on the athletic, probably uh, the middle of the week. So um, yeah. All right. Well, good. I'm going to, I'm going to read that because then it means I don't necessarily have to go uh, do, do a, any film breakdown of your team myself. I'll just, just copy your work and, and just go from that. Uh, Catherine, I really appreciate it. Uh, are, are you coming up here by the way? Yes, I will be at the game. So I haven't been to, I've only covered one Saints game at Washington and I don't remember what year it was. I think it was, I should be able to just determine this, you know, based on the schedule cycle, but I, 2014. Oh no, it was, it was, I think it was 15. It was the year Rob Ryan. That was a game that got Rob Ryan fired. Oh, those Saints teams were never boring to cover. Let me tell you that. All right. Well, well, hopefully you don't have to deal with a firing immediately after the game. At least wait, wait till you get home before it, for that. Okay drama. <laughs> Jaguars can't say the same. No, they, they've got another. They've got other things to worry about. All right, cool. Well, I will see you uh, Sunday. Thanks so much for the time, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to keep going this week with our quarter poll look at this team, and who better to do it with? With everybody's film analyst, the King of Britain, who is now uh, trying to take over Sweden. He is Mark Bullock at Mark Bullock NFL. My guy, how, you, you, we, we just, I just asked you how you're doing offline, but let everybody know how you doing. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing very well. Thanks. And yourself, you know, uh, the DEA did not come to my house this week, so <laughs> I'm doing better than most, I guess, yeah. or others. Um, yeah, all, all, all's well. I, I, I feel like, you know, I, did you ever see the movie ET? Uh, when i was younger i did but i don't remember much of it right well so i get the very basic level it became to the point where the extraterrestrial and this little boy like became so bffs that like when the alien started to get sick so did the boy or vice versa like they were so interconnected and i feel like on some level that's how i am with sometimes with the teams that i cover in that like the mood fluctuates and i don't like i like knowing if we're if i'm good or bad i don't like the uncertainty and i feel like unfortunately this is constantly where it is i think it's probably with most nfl teams you look at the standings there's a lot of teams are just in the middle only a couple at the bottom a couple at the top but this group in particular you know i mean look obviously the defense has been underachieving to say the least through four games and the offense with taylor heineke they're they're ranked 11th in points per game if you had said that before the season started you'd be like oh well, that combined with this defense should be plenty to be a scary team and yet we're not there and even within the offense you know it's still completely hard for me to just be all in on Heineke and all that stuff so I don't really know what to make of this team or how I feel about it 
So that said, we'll get to some specifics about some different parts of the team. But as it stands right now, after four games, and just for the record, Mark told me he's he has not gone, he has not fully watched the defense yet um, at this point. So we want that people to know that because Mark is very serious about what he does. He doesn't want anybody <laughs> saying, hey, Mark, you missed the blitz pickup here on this pass. What are you talking about? Okay, whatever. So he, he, he'll get there. Yeah. Uh, and you go. Only, it's only, uh, I ha- to be specific, I haven't caught up with the defense from the Falcons game yet. Obviously, I've yes. watched defense from other weeks. Yeah. Yes, yes, the Falcons game. Sorry. And, and of course, I didn't say, I'll, I'll say this in the intro, but of course, Mark does a great job with his over uh, uh, on his Substack account. Um, so you can read all his film work there. But all that said, right now, like, what, where, what are you feeling about this team? I could be optimistic. Hey, two and two, the defense is bad. That's not a bad place to be. I can be like, oh, man, they could, they're like two snaps away from being 0 and 4, and the defense is bad. And man, Heineke has had to pull out two miracles to win anything here. So, w- where are you at? Uh, What's your feeling for this group right now? Yeah, I, I don't think you can... <laughs> there's too often in the NFL that you could say, oh, we're one snap away from being uh, 0-4 and we're one snap away from being 4-0. Like it, that's kind of the whole point of the NFL. Is it's meant to be balanced. It's meant to be tight. The games are meant to be close to the end. And it's meant to be that one snap either way can can win you a game. That That's kind of the whole design of the league. So I don't think you can really get into that game too often. And I, I know I've been guilty of doing it in the past, but um, I, I think they are what their record is, which is two and two. Um, and I I think that's better than I, I, I anticipated them being going into this uh, first four games. I, I, I thought they'd come out of it with one win, um, but to come out of it with two is, is, is good. Um, especially out of the, the next four games. Um, in terms of how they're playing, uh, the offense will start with a positive. Obviously, the offense uh, looks pretty good. Uh, they're moving the ball pretty well with um, Taylor Heineke, and the run game's been solid. The offensive line's been really good. Um, so uh, there's reasons to be optimistic there. Obviously, we'll, we'll see. I, I think it'll go as far as Taylor Heineke takes them, and, and that could well be that in two or three weeks time it's fallen off a cliff but it could well be that he manages to sustain that a little bit um we'll see uh obviously the the disappointing part is the defense and how that was meant to be the the best unit on the team and meant to carry the offense and um keep games tight and 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 what have you and it's just been almost tragic to be totally honest um and that has been the biggest disappointment the fact that the defense hasn't been able to really keep them in games um and now they're going into a stretch of four games against the the saints and the chiefs and the packers and the broncos who are all capable of scoring lots of points and and it is looking like it's going to get worse before it gets better yeah for for for, for sure on that, let, let, let's start with the positives, I guess. Let's, let's, let's go to Heineke. First off, I would imagine, and I don't know if, if you agree, I would imagine on some level he must be a frustrating quarterback for a guy like you because there's nothing textbook almost about what he's doing. I mean, the, the you know, he, he's scrambling around. He's looking off different reads. He's kind of, you know, all over the place. And it's not like you can just say, well, he dropped in the pocket and he turned this way and he threw it to that guy and he, you know, by, by looking this way, he got the safety over, like he's kind of all over the place, which is fun to watch. It's also why, like, you know, throughout training camp, we all, at least I was saying he's not a practice player. 
like he's uh like he doesn't look great in a practice but then he goes out into a game and it's a whole it's a whole different uh deal so i would imagine on some level he's unconventional not just for us but for a guy like you like you're, you're looking for certain keys on some level and he's not delivering delivering any of that but but what do you see beyond sort of the gamer stuff that this just you know brett farvian like ability to pull things out of his you know where at times what what do you see that's working for him both what he's doing and maybe also what scott turner is is calling for him that that's that's working at least at the end of games maybe yeah, I, I think there obviously there is a part of it where he has that kind of gunslinger mentality that everyone talks about. And I mean, even being into studying exactly what's going on and him going off schedule, that doesn't make it less fun for me to watch. It, it's been a lot more fun to watch that and see plays be successful or at least entertaining rather than the dull stuff that we had with certain quarterbacks over the last few years where it was get to the top of the drop and check it down to the running back for three or four yards. I mean, it's a, it's a lot more entertaining watching Heineke scramble around and throw it up down the field, putting it up for grabs. So, um, but yeah, from, from a, a standpoint of how he's actually played, um, certainly coming out of that Falcons game, I thought he was very lucky from the TV broadcast. I, I thought he put the ball up for grabs a lot. And especially that second touchdown to McLaurin, it looked like he just kind of, was scrambling around and felt like he was about to get hit. So he just put it up in the air to get basically hoping that someone would come down with it. And then McLaurin did. But once I got the, the all 22 angle, you, you saw that McLaurin actually smoked his guy and there was nobody else in the end zone and he was wide open. So Heineke gave him a, 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 sh- a chance to go get it. And, and he did. So um, that wasn't as bad a decision as I thought, but we've still seen him taking some risks. I think we saw, the Buffalo game probably represents a little bit closer to his level than, than probably the Falcons game did because um, the Bills took some of the opportunities and, and they didn't take all of them. There, there were still a couple of potential interceptions available to them that they didn't get, but they did obviously get two. And then they had the third one that was wiped out due to a, a penalty. So um, I think there has been some risks from Heineke. Um and the disappointing thing from my perspective is that he, as much as he's anticipated throws, he, he's not been accurate with where he's placed the ball. It's quite often been high above receivers or behind them, and, and he's made them have to adjust um, to, to make catches, and, and that can limit their ability to pick up yards after the catch. So uh, for me, that's been a bit of a disappointment because – when, when you're the kind of quarterback that he is with, he doesn't have the arm strength to, to drive the ball into tight windows. He needs to be able to anticipate and he needs to be spot on with his accuracy to make up for that. Um, and for him to not be spot on with that, it's, it's a little bit disappointing, but um, certainly his most recent game, as, as I wrote this week myself, that he, I, I was quite impressed with him. I, I thought he showed some real good command at the line of scrimmage where he, um, he spotted a, a, a few blitzes and changed the protection and, and got that picked up and, and got the ball out on time. And, and we saw it in the, um, in the Giants game where he was on the goal line and they had a pass called, but he saw the Giants have a horrible formation and uh, a huge gap to run in. So he audible to a run and McKissick got in for a touchdown. 
Um, so that kind of stuff speaks to his knowledge of the offense and his, his confidence, command of the offense to, to make those calls, um, which is obviously a positive. Um, and I, I think we saw some some good anticipation and, and uh, some better ball placement in the Falcons game where um, he was seeing when receivers were going to break open. He was understanding. And part of that goes to Scott Turner, as you mentioned, scheming things up and um, putting defenders in binds with, with certain high-low reads and, and stuff like that where the defender has to pick to either sink back and take the deep receiver and open up the underneath stuff or bite up on the underneath stuff and be vulnerable behind. So um, those kind of things, uh, I think Heineke's done pretty well. Um, and generally, I was pretty impressed with, with what he was able to do against the Falcons, and hopefully that will be a, a step forward to him. But... Um, I think there, even in that game, there was a few risks he took. The, there was a, a whole shot down the sideline between the court and the safety to McLaurin that should have been intercepted. And if that got intercepted when it did, um, then, you know, the, the final two touchdowns never happen and the comeback probably never happens. And, and we're sitting here at one at three and, and you know, he he's, we're, we're talking about possibly Kyle Allen. So, um I think that's what Washington's going to have to live with with him is that he is going to take risks and you just have to hope that um, more often than not they, they pay off and the explosive plays that he can generate can outweigh the negative plays that might come with it. You know, and that's the thing that's so interesting, right? Like we we constantly have to try to figure out this whole Heineke thing I've, I've made a basic rule on the podcast. I'm going to stop talking about whether he's a long-term answer or any of that stuff. Yep. Let's, let, let's let it play out. He, yep. it's, a, it's a fun ride, if nothing else, right now, and give him credit for doing a lot of stuff. And, you know, at two and two, in, in the way they've won those two games, they, they won because of the offense, more or less, not because of the defense. And he's saved their skin now as, as it didn't. I'm not discounting Terry McClellan or J.D. McKissick or anybody else, but just as the quarterback, you know, he's the engine for the whole, sure. for the whole thing. But on the other hand, like Arthur Smith, uh, among the things he said after the game, along with giving praise to Heineke and the receivers was like, we, as the defense can't miss interceptions like that. And, you know, it feels like there's been some other opportunities along the way for defenses to do that. Obviously Buffalo took advantage of him and that was the best defense that they have faced so far. So it, 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 it it's all positive, but at the same time, it feels like every, almost so many of his plays, it feels like we're on the verge of like things going South, you mentioned the high throws, and obviously, you know, his arm strength is in question. So when he holds the ball late and throws across his body or things like that, then obviously that's going to be a bit of a challenge. Um, what? Uh, so they get Curtis Samuel back. Uh, they, I, looking at the stats on PFF, in like, I think Samuel was in for like 16 passing plays. And it was actually like kind of a 50 50 split uh, slot versus outside. And that was a big question as to how they were going to. To, to, to use him. I don't know if you got enough of a sense based on that one game um, as to that, but like when you have Samuel out there with McLaurin, with Gibson, we're going to put McKissick as in the big play category. They obviously lose Logan Thomas probably at least for this week. We'll see beyond that, but that's like a decent amount of quote unquote playmakers. And I'm not even getting into whatever we think of Adam Humphreys who had, you know, has had some good catches, but hasn't been like a huge impact. Deami Brown has been out there kind of a slow start. I still kind of wonder why Cam Sims hasn't gotten more run, but maybe he's just not been consistent enough for the coaching staff. It feels like Heineke, my point is, 
has a, a decent amount of playmakers around him. Unlike, you know, realistically, some of the other quarterbacks we've criticized in recent years probably haven't. Right. Um, and so I feel like that's a good spot for him to be in. And even the offensive line, even without Brandon Scherf, it's going to be out probably two to three weeks. For, it sounds like with this uh, sprained knee ligament, um, you know, the line's been has held up. We'll see how they do without without their best lineman. But you know they've held up, so it feels like he's got enough pieces around him to at least make this work. But the question is, is that gonna you know is he gonna sustain it? And now this week you get the Saints, and the schedule only gets harder for for from there. So while I'm not asking you to tell me if you think Taylor Heineke is the long term answer for however long he is the quarterback this year, whether Fitzpatrick is back possibly after the bye week or around the bye week or whenever like are do you now that his schedule is about to get harder he's probably gonna have to play games against especially like the kansas city game the tampa game or the green bay game where they may be trailing and he's have to play from behind uh against a team that's gonna be hard to stop where what where are you on your confidence level that taylor heineke is gonna be, be able to do enough on his end it's not just him but do enough on his end to have this team win some more games here yeah it's it's tough to say uh, from the way he's played like because of his play style, the, it, 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 he will take risks, and it largely depends on... It's kind of similar to what Ryan Fitzpatrick himself has been most of his career. Like He's, he's going to take shots. Uh, he's going to be aggressive. And some weeks, that's going to result in him hitting two or three 50-yard plays and, and getting three touchdowns and... and uh, being an explosive offense and some some weeks that's going to turn into three or four interceptions and look ugly and terrible and make you want to bench him so um it, it's impossible to say which week that's going to be that the the interception show up or, or the explosive play show up and sometimes it might happen in both uh, both might happen in the same game so it, it's tough to say that he can nail down this position um i think i i think if he can sustain what he's current the level he's currently playing at and, and maybe cut down on a few of the the sillier risky throws where as you mentioned where he's late with certain throws because he doesn't have the arm strength to get away with that and if he can get his ball placement in order where he's not throwing behind receivers or sailing throws above them where he's leading he's leading them um out in front and then letting them pick up yards after the catch like if he can can improve on in those aspects um, and, and still keep his aggressive mentality, um, because that aggressive mentality um, is is not a bad thing to have, um, and interceptions are going to come as a result of that. But um, the explosive plays have to be able to offset them. And, and as you say, they have some weapons like Curtis Samuel coming back. I, I think he did a pretty decent job, um, and hopefully we'll see him get integrated a little bit more as as he. Um, as he returns from his injury, uh, obviously Terry McLaurin is is a stud, and, and he's going to continue to make plays. Um, so they have some playmakers there, um, and I think Heineke gives gives those guys a chance to make their plays. And a lot of the time, receivers kind of like that kind of quarterback because they know that their opportunities are going to come instead of a quarterback that's a lot more conservative and. Um, forces them to play shorter and underneath and and pick up yards after the catch rather than make the more explosive plays. So uh, I, th- I think he'll stick around, certainly. Um, and I think the key will be, t- 
I, I, I'm not ready to say like he's going to be their starter this season and, and Fitzpatrick shouldn't come back in when he's healthy because Fitzpatrick won the, the job in training camp. Um, and, and it seems like by a significant margin. So did he win the job or was just he had the job? I'm sure. Gonna, I'm going to go with the former. Well, I mean, you were there. I wasn't at training camp, so I, I couldn't say, but it, it sounded like they were never going to give it to anyone else. It sounded like Fitzpatrick was the guy they wanted to go to, and it's hard to lose a starting job based on an injury. Um, but does that mean that Heineke can't keep the job when he comes back? If, if he if he manages to pull off a, a couple of more wins with some more explosive plays um, in this next four-game stretch, then absolutely he should keep that job. But um, I think this four-game stretch will be very tough for him because of the teams that are playing and, and how the likes of the Saints and the Chiefs can go very quickly into second and third and fourth gear and really turn a 10-point a lead into a 20-point lead into a 30-point lead. Um, and at that point, if the defense isn't stepping up, then it's going to be on Heineke to try to keep up with the, that pace in a, in a shootout. And it, will that result in him keeping his gunslinger mentality or will that result in him forcing it and throwing more interceptions like we saw against the Bills. And part of me thinks that, logically speaking, it's probably going to result more like the Bills, but we'll we'll see, I guess. Um, but, uh, before we go over to the, to the defense and have some fun there, um, anything else on the offense that's standing out to you? Like the, I mentioned, they do have a decent amount of playmakers now, but they, they were lacking. They were averaging fewer big plays per game. Uh, meaning tw- plays of 20 or more yards going into last week than they had last season when th- things were already dire. They had, I think, about seven plays this week of 20 or more yards, so they obviously picked that up again. Atlanta, not exactly a very good uh, defense, but whatever. You still got to make the plays. Um, the offensive line, I think, I don't know if they've been better than expect- expected, but I was concerned about them going into the year, especially with with the, with the rookie tackle and Charles Leno. Um, you know, not exactly sure what to make of, of, of that. And it doesn't have to be any of that, or it could be nothing. It could be Scott Turner's play calling. It could be, um, you know, you just, um, I don't know, there's one play you like. What Anything else about the offense that's interesting to you um, as we as we get through the uh, the quarter part of the season here? Uh, well, I think I, I, I wrote about today as of the day of recording is that I, I – I really have enjoyed how the offensive line has played and, and the cohesion that they, they seem to have built despite there being three new faces on, on, on the offensive line. And then it's going to be a, a fourth with Schweitzer taking over for Sheriff this week. But um, I thought, obviously, Cosme had that rough start against Joey Bosa um, in week one. And that, and that was kind of inevitable because he has some issues with his technique and Joey Bosa is as good as they come in the NFL in terms of technical pass rushers. And, and Bosa was always going to exploit any time, any minor technical flaw Bosa is going to exploit. So um, Cosme has some pretty significant um, technical flaws. So Bosa was always going to take advantage of that. So since then, I think he's bounced back at any, and his technique is improving. It still has a long way to go, but I think, We've seen a protection plan from Washington that has been really good that has limited the amount that Cosme has had to 
play one-on-one without any support whatsoever. And then they've done a pretty good job of being able to free up Sheriff to be able to slide over and help him out if, if need be. Um, and, and that obviously helps significantly, but um, to be able to allow Sheriff that freedom to slide over, the, the guys on the other side of the line, and particularly Chase Rulier at center, they have to pick up the burden of, of allowing Sheriff the freedom to slide over. So those guys have done a pretty good job. And, and I think the interior three of, of Flowers, uh, Rudier and Sheriff have been very good. And, and Rudier, particularly to me, has been standing out as playing really well um, and picking up different stunts and um, allowing them to do some of their play action fakes where they pull a guard to, to sell a, a hard run fake. And, and that may, that that can sometimes put him in a tough spot where he has to reach an extra gap to, to block alignment and cut him off um, to allow the guard to pull uh, as part of the fake. And that can be tough for a center, but, but really has done a pretty good job of it. And, and I think the entire line in general has, has done really nice, um, really nice job of, of being cohesive and all being on the same page and um, picking up, each other and allowing as i say allowing them to give extra help to to cause me and making that transition from the college game with where he just got by on pure athleticism to the nfl where where he needs to improve his technique he that that transition is significantly easier because of the the schematic way in which they are helping him out um let's talk about um the defense, you know, we, we, we spend all this time, the defensive line, the defensive line. And, and like my, my basic point is I think that people have misunderstood on some level is it's not that they're playing terrible. It's just that the expectations are high and justified because of the talent there and the investment with the draft picks. And that from that, this group needs to be, um, uh, they need to be really good for them to win. It isn't just enough to be decent. They have to be really good. Um, and they haven't been, they haven't been that way. Um, Ron Rivera has talked about the, the sort of the lack of coordination with some of the players and all these different things, but um, what, what is standing out to you with regards to, 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 to that group or like, or like, do you get like, uh, like, I know I sort of get tired of this sort of like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to bash on chase young or anybody like that, but like, Again, it's sort of just like they have to do more. This is just this comes with the crown. The, the, the you know, what is the statement about your your British guy? What's the statement about the the crown? The heavy is who wears the crown, or what's the uh, what what's uh, the deal? Uh, I'm not quite sure which one you're going for there. All right, well, whatever. Anyway, the point is, with expectations comes responsibility, and they're just not living up to it. Basically, at this point, it, it's not much more than that. What what are you seeing as you're watching over the course of a month? What's happening here? Yeah, I, I, I think I think the defensive line, the way I see it is individually, each player isn't doing a bad job necessarily. Like Jonathan Allen, I think, has been a, a stand above everyone else. He's the most consistent. He is generating a ton of pass rush. He is incredibly stout against the run. Um, and as I say, he, he's the one that's from snap to snap. He is the most consistently high performing. Um, and so for me, Jonathan Allen is doing a fantastic job. Uh, we've seen Deron Payne step up 
past couple of weeks, particularly against the Bills. Um, and, and that's largely because Jonathan Allen's been drawing so much extra attention that he's been getting more one-on-ones and, and he's been taking advantage of that, which is good. Um, the guys on the edge, they're, they're still too... Sweat and, and Young are both very raw pass rushers. They're, they're incredible athletes, but they're still developing a rush plan and and working different techniques. And I think a lot of it is they're probably thinking rather than naturally reacting that they they don't have the they don't have the instincts that joey bosa does from being a veteran in the league for so long whereas like bosa as i talked about with cosme in that first week bosa would see a bad set from cosme or he'd see cosme throw his hands early and be off balance and and that would be just an instant cue for him to just naturally react and swipe those hands away and pull him off balance and get by him very quickly. Whereas for young and sweat and particularly chase young, it's he sees that and then is pausing for a moment to think, okay, what's my best move to counter that. And then he's going into that move. And, and by that point, that little split second of hesitation, he's, he's allowed the, the blocker to recover. So I think there's a, there's an element to, he just needs more experience and, and, and learning to naturally react to different moves um, quicker um, and that will help him. Um, uh, I think the, the stuttered step move that he does is um, hurts him. He, he, I'd like to see him a little bit more urgent in, in pressing the edge and, and using that burst that he has to, to threaten the edge and, and get tackles worried about the speed outside and, and that will open up other things for him. Um, but in general, he's also, I don't think he's played as bad as people think he has. Like, he's been receiving a lot of extra attention. Uh, Rivera's mentioned the, the chips that he's had and, and the, in the first couple of weeks, certainly, um, and even in the Bills game, to a slightly lesser extent, there was almost always a back or a tight end staying in to chip him and, and give the tackle some help. So um, he's received a lot of attention, It's and it's tough to work through double teams and triple teams and, and stuff like that um but obviously with with being the expectations that come with with being chase young that you you expect him to still have an impact and and he's not been good enough so far but um i don't think he's been terrible by any means um uh, and i think it will come as he develops uh in terms of an overall unit i, I think what Rivera mentioned about cohesion is very true. That they're, they're they're currently four individuals all working on their own plan rather than uh, working as a unit to generate a pass rush and, and collapse the pocket around the quarterback. Um, and, and we started to see that a little bit against the Falcons, where we saw some some design stunts where um, Chase Young looped around both Sweat and. Uh, sorry, both Allen and Payne as they stunted outside and he looped inside and, and that created some pressure. Um, and things like that help the defensive line um, not only get pressure on the quarterback, but keep him in the pocket and prevent him from escaping that pressure. So um, I think that's what we need to see a little bit more of is, is the guys rushing together and being on the same page rather than just putting four individuals out there and saying your best four pass rushers go and beat a guy one-on-one um i I think i'd like to see them be 
a little bit more cohesive and, and, and work the stunts and help each other out. Um, breaking news uh, while we've been doing this podcast. No, not breaking news that they put Danny Johnson um, and Jordan Kanasik on the 53. Uh, not breaking news that they're bringing in a kicker to the practice squad. No, Taylor Heineke now has per, has a personal logo and gear for sale. Oh, are, no. you, uh, are, are you are you are you are you ready for for that? Would you like any? If, if people are listening to this, would like to uh, gift you something, anything in particular, a shirt, sweatshirt? Would, would you like? Would you like some of that? Are they going to sw- uh, ship to Sweden? Do you think? Look, I think you know. I think people do all kinds of things. I I I, I don't know. Any anything um anything is possible um you just never you just never know but i'm gonna i just i just tweeted out a uh a, a, a picture of it it's, it's on instagram you can um i mean there's like a lot of stuff i'm only putting out a couple of things there's like different there's different ones there's there's him diving on some oh, other God. stuff there, there's there's a lot going on somebody was somebody got busy oh the ch4 you know what that's not a bad logo i don't mind that uh, I, I don't necessarily like the Heineke diving for the pylon stuff, but I don't mind the TH4 logo. That's that's pretty clean. Yeah. Um, what a world. Um, <laughs> what, what, what a world. Um, so I mentioned Jordan Kanasik because is added to the 53. That's that's in conjunction with John Bosta going on IR with a torn pec muscle and Tori McTire as well um, with an ACL tear and obviously bummer for them and, you know, wish them the best in their recoveries. From a purely football perspective, you know, obviously Washington drafted Jamin Davis in part because that was a big issue for them at linebacker. But I thought one thing that was sort of lost in the shuffle a little bit was that was all they did. And by that, I mean, not, not, not that that's a first round pick on a linebacker is not nothing, but effectively on some broad level, he replaced Kevin Pierre Lewis just in terms of they had three guys, right? So now he was like the third guy. And maybe obviously the hope is he becomes good enough to play three downs and you don't have to play Bostick or Holcomb as much, obviously. But He's obviously had a bit of a slow start, and that's it is what it is. It's not a knock on where he may be, but right now he isn't there in the eyes of the coaches, and probably I assume in the eyes of somebody like you. But um, they now that Bostic's out, like it's not like we can just sit here and go, well, that's fine. Let's just plug and play this guy. Like we could say Brandon Scherf's out, it's a loss, but they have Wes Schweitzer. St. Juice is out. Well, they've got Daryl Roberts, who's played a while, and McTire showed some good things in camp. I don't know. I mean, Khalid Hudson has essentially not played on any level. Uh, he has played zero defensive snaps this year. David Mayo has had some experience, has played zero defensive snaps this year. Now, ultimately, maybe this is not that big of a big of a deal. Um, I'm, I'm apologies for the for the coughing uh, mark there. Um, it, it, it is like there with the sub package stuff. They're not using three linebackers a ton anyway. I do get that. They didn't even use one linebacker a ton this week. Holcomb had played 100 every single snap the first three weeks. This week he was down to 84%. They played more six defensive backs against Atlanta than any team in the league this week, even though Atlanta used three receiver sets less than any team in the league. They were so, it seemed to me, and I know, as I said, you haven't looked at the defense in this way yet, but they're so apparently desperate to to hide their linebacker situation that they're just figuring out how to get anybody else on the field they're using all this five defensive lineman stuff which they have the talent up front to want to maximize that but at the same point only like four teams in the league are using that many defensive linemen again four teams in the league may not have a guy like ionitis on the bench so i do get that but at the same point you know that is not 
it's not the easiest road to go. There's a reason why teams don't just draft so many defensive linemen to thus go with five at all times. So like they've got, so they're going to see, need to see more from Jamin Davis pretty quickly. I don't know who else they have to sub in at all. I mean, you know, Bostic was still playing a lot of snaps, you know, um, and Jamin Davis, and he picks those up. Now who's playing the Jamin Davis snaps at some point, these guys in theory are going to do, do less, but also how do you get this group better? And then in the secondary, you know, there's, uh, we had a story up the other day. I saw I had to cheat on you. I had our film guy, Ted Wynn with me, uh, did this story about, you know, kind of what's going on. He was looking at the miscommunication stuff and things like that. And, you know, it seems like we still had some more of that going on this week. So for all the defensive line talk, the back seven is a, some of the bigger questions on defense. I don't necessarily know that losing Bostic is a major loss. I think the stat is like on pro football focus, he had faced 18 targets this year and the opponents had 17 receptions. So it's not like that's been great. And he missed a tackle on the Mike Davis uh, touchdown catch and so on. So a lot going on there. And I guess my question is, I, well, I don't think losing Bostic is going to be a huge deal. On the other hand, it doesn't mean that they have some easy solutions other than just to sort of keep throwing out these weird combinations. Um, you throw out weird combinations in the playoffs when you're trying to screw with somebody, not when you're trying to be a steady influence. So what do you see with the back seven? Like what's the, other than just saying Jamin Davis could play better. What is, is that, is it simple as that? Like what's the solution to have that group do better than, than what's going on so far? Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a mess back there right now. Um, and it has been the whole season. Um, it's pretty hard for, for, for me to say exactly how to sort it out, because if I could say that they, they probably would have sorted it out by now, but um, I, I think a, a lot of the issues they're having um, comes from miscommunication. Um, certainly the blown coverages and we've seen moments where players aren't getting aligned properly. And um, there's been a corner and a safety going after the same defender and leaving someone else running free deep and, um, all those kind of things and that typically comes down to miscommunication and, and not getting everyone on the same page and, and uh, people will say well Bostic is the guy in charge of that but that that tends to that tends to it happened more when Bostic wasn't on the field than when Bostic was on the field and you can't necessarily have a guy that is a passenger but can get everyone aligned like that that doesn't really work but Bostic did a better job of getting them aligned than anyone else did um and when when we saw last week um against the bills when we saw Bostic go out and, and davis get more run and, and holcomb get some some time with um calling the the shots then that was when we saw more of the miscommunication and certainly people getting aligned properly um so I think that will be the biggest issue with Bostic not being there is is getting everyone on the same page and perhaps him not being there will force Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera to say, okay, look, we've got to simplify things and, and we've got to go back to some very basic stuff and make sure we get everyone on the same page and and, and make this a lot easier on, on guys like Davis and Holcomb to, to call the game and make the adjustments at the line when, when, when we need them to. Um, and, and perhaps that will benefit the defense because obviously what they've been doing so far hasn't been working. Um, 
I I think when when we see on the field, I think Davis will be obviously a coverage upgrade from from Bostic. Um, in terms of the run game, he's he's still still developing there. He, he, there there were a few more nice plays um, from certainly from watching the the broadcast copy um, against the Falcons, um, and but there were still some times when he was a little bit slow to to read things and and. He was a little bit late to react to, um, you know, play action fakes and um, any kind of misdirection with a jet sweep or uh, a end around fake or anything like that. That that kind of stuff still kind of causes hesitation from him. So um, I, I think the run defense could could suffer a little bit um, and, until he gets up to speed with that. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, the depth behind those two is 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 basically non-existent um and, and we'll see if kaliki hudson or kalik hudson um can can step up and and provide something um but he's more of along the the lines of a almost a, a cam curl type where he's more of a safety that plays linebacker and so i think what we'll end up seeing is more of those those sub packages that you talked about where they, they have the three safeties on the field at the same time and um, they have more defensive backs, and then they try to hide their limitations at linebacker by by using those sub packages. But um, if they're going to do that, the, those defensive backs need to communicate far better than they have done because they just had way too many busted coverages. They did. Um, they, they did. You know, you are not uh, based on my dealings with you. I wouldn't classify you as an emotional guy. You, you seem to be pretty, pretty, pretty level. Yep. Like, do you get like pissed off watching like, I, like to the degree that like, you know, you, 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 you do this to yourself, you effectively force yourself to cover this team and this tape and, and therefore watch all these things that are happening. Do you get pissed off when you see kind of over and over again, if not some more mistakes or, 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 or things that just don't make sense to you or whatever it is. Does that, do you ever be, do you ever get like, what, seriously, what, what, what is happening here? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I get pissed off about it. I, I certainly sit there and, and think what the hell is happening. And, and um, I can't believe they're having another coverage bust or they're struggling to get misaligned again. But um, no, I, I kind of, just I'm, I'm almost more disappointed at it at this point and then and, and wishing that uh all those years ago when my dad took us to the states that he he'd gone to somewhere else other than washington <laughs> so right so if he'd gone if he had gone to boston think how like your life would be different over the last uh, it would be years. incredible yeah I, that that would be fantastic um getting to to cover boston teams would be great um yeah, uh, so it, it does make me sometimes go, did I have to have, did I have to go with Washington? But um, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of here now, and, and obviously, still grateful that the thing I do for a living is watching a a, a sport, and try to remember that I should be grateful that that's what I'm doing, even if the sport that I'm watching and the plays that I'm watching are a little bit tedious at times. A hundred percent. I have the same conversation with myself, but so the, <laughs> so the other day um, I asked people on Twitter, I said, Hey, I'm, um, it was after the um, got home from the Atlanta game and I had to deal with some things. I'm like, I'm gonna get a podcast out later. 
But in the meantime, why don't you ask me some questions? And then I was going to answer these on the podcast I did Monday, but then the uh, Ryan Vermillion situation happened and didn't get to it. So I got a couple here that I think a lot of them were on the defense in some capacity. And you hear it's a good chance to just ask some of these here. So like, uh, you know, at a basic level, a lot of them are, you know, uh, at Z Cordova, how long before Del Rio finds himself on the hot seat? You, You don't need to answer that specifically. Um, but, but a lot of questions are sort of in that vein of like, okay, we, we, we keep talking about the players, but what about the actual play calling? I don't know if we asked Ron Rivera about that this week, but we did previously. And he said he was fine with, with the play calling. And I know it's, it's not always easy. Like, you know, part of the challenge doing what you do is like you watching the tape, but you don't know what the actual play call was. A guy could be, you know, somebody could have just freelanced or whatever. Yep. So ba- based on that, and knowing what you saw last year, where are you at with the the play calling of Jack Del Rio? This is a position of defensive coordinator. We've had a lot of guys over the years, your Greg Minuskis and Joe Barry's of the world that people had no problem taking digs at, but Del Rio largely has gotten a pass in part because last year the defense was pretty good. So where are you at from that perspective with, with this group? Yeah, I, I think um, the, the, the place to evaluate play calling is, kind of situational rather than just in general uh like as you say it's tough to always you can kind of guess roughly what the coverage is um on a play-by-play basis but um it's tough to know whether as you say someone freelanced or um a lot of coverages have players that have to play a route a certain way um depending on what the the route combination is so so it can look one rep can look like cover two uh, on one play and it can look like quarters on the next so it, it can be tough to evaluate sometimes but I, I think where and i wrote about this after the bills game was um the situational stuff that in the two minute drill are they giving up easy plays on, on third and short are they giving up easy plays um and, and Certainly that two-minute drill from the Bills before the half where the Bills drove, what was it, 54 yards or something like that in about 25 seconds to, to kick a field goal before the half and extend their lead. Like That, to me, was a badly called series because they – I know people hate seeing prevent defenses, and it, it wasn't necessarily prevent defense, but they, they were playing quarters coverage, which is to a degree a base coverage for them um not to a degree it is a base coverage for them so it's not like they were necessarily doing something different but they didn't i didn't see him changing the call to fit the situation and so what what that ended up doing was you'd see benjamin st juiced bail out straight off the snap so that he got to cover his deep quarter um and stefan Diggs would run a 10 to 15 yard curl and he'd be wide open because St. Just was bailing out and he was 10 to 15 yards deeper. So um, Diggs was able to make a catch and then step out of bounds and then pick up 10 to 15 yards. And they did that twice in the first three plays of the drive. So um, that was infuriating, infuriating to me. Um, and that to me was bad play calling because it wasn't taking full note of the situation. And I think on those two plays, the, the Bengal, the, sorry, the Bills, they only took 10 seconds off the clock but they got something like 25 yards combined on those two plays so um that to me is bad play calling that you're allowing that to happen and it wasn't just once it was twice um and and then 
we saw, I think there was a, a third and short in the third quarter or the fourth quarter. Um, and they, they gave up. Oh, no, it was the, it was the final play of that drive. It was um, of the two minute drill. It was, they, they were six seconds left on the clock and then they wanted to run a quick play to try to eke out a couple more yards and make it a slightly easier field goal. And Washington must have done this. There were six seconds on the clock. The Bills had no timeout. So it was obviously going to be a short, quick throw to the flat with the receiver catching the ball and getting out of bounds. So instead of playing press coverage and trying to prevent people getting out to the flat quickly, Del Rio had them play quarters again. And then the corners bailed out and it left uh, Holcomb kind of in no man's land trying to get out to the flat to cover a tight end in the flat. And they managed to pick up five yards and, and have a five-yard easier field goal. So that, to me, is where I think Del Rio has, has fallen short a little bit in terms of play calling. But um, in, in critical situations, in, in obviously third down, they've been terrible. Um, and, and that is somewhere where they could do better play calling. But in the two-minute drill and, and things like that, I think that's where the play calling has fallen short for me. Mark Bullock says... Change defensive coordinators. That's <laughs> what I heard now. Just kidding. Um, l- l- let me see what else is here. There, there was a question in here. I don't know if I can find it really quick. Uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, at Washington fan 44. Why hasn't he, I guess, meaning Rivera, benched Landon Collins yet? Um, obviously, the Landon Collins thing was a, a fascinating story. We go back to last year, right? When, um, you know, he's, he's kind of struggling before he has the injury and Cam Curl was interesting and, um, you know, Cam Curl does a pretty good job. Again, so many things are based on perception and expectations. He was a, a seventh round pick that nobody had heard of. So being able to walk and shoot gum made him acceptable on some level. And then he was able to do more than that. Whereas Landon Collins has this huge contract and whatever he's doing is being judged off of that. But now he has the Achilles tear. So we're like, oh, okay, we'll see what we get. And he comes back and looks pretty spry this summer. Um, He was flying around. We saw, you know, even in the preseason, he was making some plays. And it's not like I don't think he's been a dumpster fire or anything. But on the other hand, you know, you see some things. Again, it's hard to always know. He was on the wrong, the Buffalo's first touchdown. He was the safety in in coverage or the defendant back in coverage. Whether that was on him or not, you know, uh, I don't know. But uh, the point is, you know, he's been interesting, but like the first three weeks, his snap counts went down while Cam curls went up. But then this week without Benjamin St. Juice, Collins played hundred percent of the snaps and Cam curl was the guy who went down, I guess, effectively kind of serving as the nickel, uh, uh, the nickel back. So where are you on that front? Take away all the history, take away all the, the contracts. And again, I understand you haven't watched this week's game cause you're a slacker. So what's the deal with that? What, where are you at on, the 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 this, nah, maybe not even just the comp, but the three safeties in general because they've been kind of making them interchangeable. Bobby McCann admitted he was at fault on the long pass to Cordero Patterson down down the middle. Um, wh- where are you at on the safeties, and, and how would you be kind of using them? Yeah, I, I think you've got it exactly right. It's the expectation that comes with the big contract that has got fans hating on Landon Collins, um, and I think a lot of it has been from his performance last year rather than this year. Um, the This year, like, I wouldn't say he's been great. Like, none of them have been great on defense bar, probably Jonathan Allen, but um, I, I, I don't think he's been terrible. Um, and people point to, as you say, that touchdown against the Bills, that wasn't his fault. Um, 
at least certainly not as I saw it because it was a uh, fans hate to hear it, but sometimes the offense calls the right play against the the right coverage, and Washington had a, a quarters look on that half of the field, and uh, once a receiver, a, a slot receiver, gets to a certain point in quarters coverage, then the safety has to take that guy, and and that's what that's what happened on that play. Uh, Collins had to take the the slot receiver, and that left. Uh, William Jackson one-on-one outside um, and out leverage. So that's what happened on that play. But um, yeah, I, I think in general, Collins has been okay. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been terrible. Um, any kind of mistake from him is is highlighted and over-highlighted. And, and um, it, honestly, he's, I guess the, the criticism you can have with him is that he's, kind of been a bit anonymous he's he's not made a huge amount of plays he i don't think he's been as bad as he was last year last year he certainly had a lot of missed tackles and and uh some poor fits and and stuff like that um but in general he he's he's kind of been just average and, and that that's that's fine it's obviously not worth what his contract is but it, it's fine in terms of what they're getting on the field from him compared to some of the other players that they have um i think when you look at it the, the, all three have had mistakes um cam curl kind of got got away with it um against the bills he actually had a pretty poor game he had i think he had three or four plays where I, I can't say he necessarily busted a coverage, but he certainly wasn't in the right spot. Um, and that to me, he, I, I think he kind of got away with it because of the mistakes that everyone else made and, and um, how everyone kind of sees him as the savior of the secondary because of how he played last year. And, and, you know, he deserves a little bit of leeway because of how he played last year, but that doesn't mean that he didn't make mistakes last week. And, and that uh, I think what we saw this week was probably as a reaction to, the issues that he had last week um, where he did make a fair few mistakes. So um, Bobby McCain, I thought has probably until he had the mistake for the touchdown this week, I thought he's probably been their most consistent safety, um, certainly in coverage. And I I thought he'd been doing a pretty good job in general, but um, then he had obviously the, the mistake this week where he bit up on what he thought was going to be a crossing route, but it was actually just bait. Um, and then that left Cordell Patterson on the post over the top of him. So, um, and when you're the, the single deep safety, you obviously can't let that happen. And that resulted in a touchdown. So he's made his mistakes as well. So I, I would say none of them have been perfect. And yes, you could make a, make a case for saying, let's go with the young guy in curl and the cheaper guy in McCain, uh, but they're not going to cut Collins mid season. Um, so they might as well see what they can get out of him and the the flexibility of having those three guys is better than having three linebackers certainly now that Bostick's gone and they basically have no third linebacker um so being able to play those guys and being flexible in the secondary gives them a I think a better option than trying to find a third linebacker out of nowhere um so yeah in Collins in general I think fans overreact I understand where they're coming from but I think he's 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 doing okay, which doesn't live up to what his contract is. But I think they need to kind of forget about the contract for now and and say he's doing okay. Um, last last question, I guess, unless I think of another one. 
Um, so they play the Saints this week. Yep. I don't know if you heard that. Um, the Saints, their offense is not what it was. This is not the Drew Brees just go crazy offense. You know, they don't have the same weapons. They've got some concerns uh, at wide receiver and the offensive line. And Jameis Winston is not a work in progress, but, you know, he's still, you know, uh, he's been okay, but, but they're still working him uh, back. I'll, I'll have an interview with our Saints reporter, Catherine Terrell, this week as well. Um, but with regards to how Washington deals with Alvin Kamara, who's obviously one of the better players in the league. So normally you might just say, okay, well, you know, you have a linebacker. Who's your best cover linebacker and sort of have that him maybe chase him around the field or whatever. I don't even know who that who that is. And we're just like what we're saying, like, it's not even just that they're going to go like suck, like sub packages may, may, may not even be enough. They may end up going with more, you know, maybe six defensive backs based on the amount of guys they used last week. And if St. Juice comes back, then that makes it a little bit easier to perhaps uh, do that. I might have said maybe Cam Curl is the answer, like, a, you know, a, a guy who can play closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, maybe he's the answer to, to go against Kamara if, if you're going to, I don't know if you're going to shadow him, but, you know, to some degree, what would you say on that front? Again, they've been playing a lot of five defensive linemen, but I don't really want Young and Sweat in coverage too much at all, let alone against a guy like that. So that doesn't seem like an option, but, you know, going six defensive backs is, has its own challenges. So what would you do based on where we're at right now with this team? What's the plan for a guy like Kamara? Yeah, I think the one that you've touched on there, Cam Curl, would probably be the way I would go about it um, because the, Curl was the guy that they went with um, from from what I could see from the broadcast. Curl was the guy they went with against Pitts um, from uh, the Falcons game. Um, and Kyle Pitts is obviously a tight end and, and Kamara is a, a running back, but um, in terms of the threat that they can provide um, with Kamara moving around and, and running from different spots and, and Pitts doing a similar thing, I, I would think Curl could line up um, and play a similar role against Kamara, um, certainly on when Kamara gets split out wide. Uh, but I, I think uh, the way they handled running backs so far, um, certainly with Saquon Barkley, with the Giants, um, Jamin Davis actually did a job on him and, and, and they had Jamin Davis matching the running back and Cole Holcomb would match the tight end. And, and that, that would be the way they, they handled it whenever they played man coverage. Um, certainly an option is to play some zone coverage and um, they will almost certainly do that at times. Um, and that will result in them having a couple of linebackers or underneath coverage guys kind of bracketing, Kamara hopefully for the most part um, but when it comes to trying to play man coverage I, I think when Kamara's in the backfield it will likely be Jamie Davis or, or Cole Holcomb um, depending on which side he's working on and if they, they move him around which they probably will and he lines up in the slot or outside or what have you I think that would be when Cam Crow gets to, to play that Buffalo nickel role and, and, and try to match up with him all right, how do we do? Uh, as you know, you, you usually break down the film, but here I'm asking you to break down the the, the audio tape. How did we do? Did we did we touch all the the, the the key points? Is there anything we've left? Did we leave any points on the on the field? Um, any matchups we didn't exploit, uh, or, or do you feel good about our, our performance here? Uh, we didn't touch on the special teams, I guess. But other than that, well, uh, we we can mention that they did sign today, uh, Chris Blewett uh, to the practice squad. He's 
Loki's actually a local kid. Play, played at uh, University of Pittsburgh. Has sort of had a, had a couple shots with a couple teams. Um, I, I don't know. If, I, I I haven't done this. I didn't know if you went back and looked at the extra points that Hopkins missed to see if there was any issue there with snap or hold or anything like that. But um, it. Uh, it doesn't happen he's a really nice guy you know you don't want to i want to you know i don't want anybody to lose their job but i mean at some point here you have to ask the question like what is the deal i mean field goals all right you know extra points i mean you can't even though it's moved back you can't miss those and they would have they were down two when um mckissick scored the touchdown so would if you'd like to address that or if you really have a take on actual special teams uh the you know the 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 the, the coverage or the returning, you know, knock yourself. Well, DeAndre Carter did have a hundred yeah. yard touchdown return. And John, I saw John Bates had a big block. So sure. Go nuts. What do you got? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the main thing is Carter has seemed to have emerged as a, as a solid return option. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not counting my chickens before they hatch, uh, so to speak uh, with him yet, because we kind of had a similar situation a few years ago with, um, with Steven Sims uh, where, he mainly made the roster as a return man. And then um, I think he had one or two kickoff returns or punt returns that were good and, and maybe one or two touchdowns as well. And then obviously we, we saw how that played out over the course of a year or two where, where he had some issues with, with dropping returns and um, and then ended up getting cut, obviously. So we'll, we'll see if Carter can continue this more than four weeks, but obviously um, having a threat in the return game, um, along with Tressway as a punter, that 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 field position flipping ability shouldn't be underestimated. And I know Washington fans kind of uh, joke about it a lot because Tressway is so good at it, um, and the the rest of the team has been so poor over the last few years. But um, that field position can really play a factor, um, and especially against the the teams that are coming up against them the next few weeks if they're if they are to have success it's going to be a lot easier if Tressway's pinning them back and, and deandre carter is is getting them an extra five or ten yards on, on on the kickoff return um that 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 can be hugely significant over the over the course of the game um so i think that's certainly a promising outlook for them um all right. Well, good job. Good job. Good effort. Always, Thank always you. appreciate the time. Anything you'd like, you'd like to mention about your, uh, your work scenario. You got any, uh, you got any uh, deals for people who are, who are actually living in Sweden or, or anything <laughs> else that, that people should know about? I know I'm sure we have a big audience in Sweden. Anything we need to know about, about your Substack or people should be aware of or, 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 or whatever else you got. Just that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to go alone this year after, uh, your company let me go um and uh <laughs> i <company>. <laughs> and uh so i i'm, I'm going alone with my own substack uh, which is markbullock.substack.com um, and i'm doing breakdowns uh every week um on various issues a lot of it has been defensive so far um with how the defense have, have been struggling but uh, this week we we've had a little bit more positives from the from the Falcons game. I, I tried to uh, put the defense on the back burner, which is why I haven't watched them yet, and, and focus on the positives. So um, I've had posts on Taylor Heineke um, and uh, the offensive line um, so far this week. Uh, so and there'll, there'll be there'll be more to come. So uh, if people want to see that, that they can they can head on over and and, and subscribe and and check it out. 
Absolutely. I encourage everybody to do that. Um, Mark puts in the time and uh, if I'm going to give my money to somebody that's important for me, um, he does that even again, if he is slacking here on the defense, we're going to have to, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to dock him for that. Uh, dude, I always appreciate it. Good, good to see you. Uh, even if you're in a country that's throwing me off here, uh, but I appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk. Okay. Cheers. All right. Many thanks to Catherine Terrell and to Mark Bullock for their time. Uh, definitely appreciate it. And of course, thanks to everybody here for listening and checking out the podcast. You can, you know, again, uh, if you if you haven't subscribed yet, consider doing so. We'd greatly appreciate it. iTunes, Spotify, or if you want to do the full step and join the Athletic uh, for a commercial free experience, but also you get everything else that goes on with the Athletic, and you can do it for a fifty percent off the subscription rate. All right, but that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time, see ya.